0: Dr. Matteo Berlucci is an Italian now living in London and has a doctorate in physics who is now working in artificial intelligence. Matteo runs a company called Your.MD and in this particular episode we talk about the challenges of making an AI do what you want. By that I imply the grand task that Your.MD is undertaking which is to build an artificial intelligence app that helps people self-diagnose and seek treatment uh, via a mobile device. Uh, Mateo goes into some of the, the multiple approaches to artificial intelligence that they've had to cobble together and blend together in order to yield the kind of result that they want. And we talk about sometimes the stark differences between making an AI do something cool in the lab and having an AI do something functional for tens of thousands of people, which is of course what URMD is after. Um, so for those of you who are interested in the actual applications of AI and potentially the challenges of running or working in an artificial intelligence startup, uh, this will certainly be an interesting episode, and I had a lot of fun with this one. So without further ado, let's hop right in. So Mateo, uh, the first question I wanted to get into, I I read when I was looking into Uh, uh, your.md, I read that you folks had licensed a good deal of medical data in order to sort of get the application off the ground. How much information was needed to sort of preload your systems in order to respond to people intelligently?
1: So the um, the the licensed data from the National Health Service in the UK is actually uh, is not patient data. It's data about um, it's information about what you should do when uh, you have a certain condition. It's essentially content, if you want. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, uh, the reason why this content is crucial for our project is that what we're trying to do is to answer three, the three questions that generally your doctor answers for you. The first question is what's wrong with you when you know, well, then they tell you what to do about it. And then generally they tell you where to go and get help, you know, go and get a test, go to a specialist, go and get some medicines. So our objective as a company is to try to answer the three key questions because we believe that once we can do this, we fundamentally remove the need to see a doctor for all those cases that require minor ailments or, you know, essentially due to self-care, yep. which are a huge number because in the UK, there's a, the estimate is three in five visits to a general practitioner is basically it's things you can do on your own.
0: That's if
1: you have information and the advice, yeah, yeah, So the NHS provided with information that fulfills step two, because we have basically built three AI engines, and the second one is the one that connects you to the condition, and uh, it's called the medical brain. We call it, and it needs the the information to tell you, "Ah, Dan, you have a pneumonia. This is what you need to know about it." Okay, hmm. so the in reality, to kickstart the project, we needed the the data in uh, in the um, two sets of data that we didn't have. The first is the NLP data. is basically is to answer question number one, which is what's wrong with you. Yeah, and and that basically requires to understand what you're talking about. Uh, because when you go to the doctor, we had a choice. Our choice uh, from the beginning was to use a conversational interface, mm-hmm. because um, now it's become very fashionable. Everybody's doing chatbots.
0: <laughs> it's very, <laughs> it? very fashionable. Yeah, it's funny because it was, it was kind of fun and novel, you know, fifteen years ago, and now it's kind of like, you know, it's cool again.
1: Yeah, it's cool but now. I think there's a lot of people that are doing it because it's cool. We actually do it because we have to.
0: Yeah, Because yeah. If you
1: want to extract information from a patient not knowing what the information is, you need to use conversation. It's essentially the only way you can do it. You cannot use a graphical interface effectively. You need to let people express themselves. Because and everybody expresses themselves in different ways. So our first challenge is understanding what you're talking about. So that we have done by taking databases of symptoms, then using spell checkers, and using... um, um, Mapping technology to basically do all the possible variations and combination of how you declare symptoms. So that if you say your tummy aches, we need to understand is abdominal pain. Yeah. Okay. Now that's done, uh, we've done it a very big job at the beginning to fill up the database with synonyms and, and spell checking Ooh. and so on. Yeah. And now we do uh, what we do there, we filter out from the live systems all the queries that we don't catch. And we analyze them, do we feed them to a, we crowdsource this task because we don't, you know, it can only be done by humans. Yep. Uh, and I, I love crowdsourcing because I've done it in the past in one of my other startups. And I think the crowdsourcing is the, is sort of, is the human version of machine learning.
0: Basically. Yes, yes. I, <laughs> it's, it's interesting uh, and analogy. It, and it works
1: really well because yes. certain tasks the humans do much better than computers. Yep. Right? So you achieve the scale of machine learning by crowdsourcing, essentially. So we use crowdsourcing to analyze the queries that we don't catch, and then we have people of their degrees of knowledge in their medical, so training could be students or doctors, so depending on how complex the thing is. And they will say, oh, this is, you know, the user who actually meant this other thing, or, you know, they, they, they expressed this very badly, and this is actually what they meant. And uh, we were dealing in uh, a funny one yesterday with a query from a user, a female user that she declared she had an itchy virginia.
0: Oh so. man. <laughs> Goodness gracious. Yeah, you, you you probably see it all if you have enough people yeah. uh enough people and chatting.
1: Yeah. yeah, you realize that if you have a situation like an itchy Virginia, you can't get a computer to understand that basically. Nope. You, you need a human being. Yep. So so we done that and then the second bit is the the, the medical brain. The the medical brain is, the, is essentially is what the doctor would do after they collect the input from you. So the doctor would look at you, look at the season, he knows where you are in the world, and will ask you a bunch of questions, maybe has some of your history, and then will say, look, Dan, based on your profile and all the information you gave me, I think
0: that you're suffering from this condition. Yeah. When they
1: say, I think you're suffering from this condition, they're basically expressing probability.
0: Yeah, I was going to say it sounds very dangerous to say you have pneumonia, right? Because Correct. you, you yeah. expressing certainty without you know getting blood tests and looking down their throat and you yeah. know seeing them in person sounds very difficult. So, okay, so you are giving probabilities.
1: We give probabilities, but the, the the general practitioner would do the same. They basically say you have a high probability of having the following. Thing. Yeah, yeah. And then and that's basically step two is identifying the cause what is happening there. Now, how do you do that? From an artificial intelligence point of view, it's an interesting problem because it's a problem that is quite different from most of the things that you see out there in AI. Um, the reason why it's different because medicine is, the way you work out what could be wrong with you is from the cause. You need to identify the cause of what created you know, the problem. So correlation doesn't work. So you can't look at data and just use correlation and sort of deep learning to extract this type of information. I will give you two uh, funny examples. First is that if you use correlation data, um, you know, in the past, um, nobody actually ever thought that smoking was creating problem to your respiratory system. Yeah, there was actually advert saying that you know smoking was good for asthma. Uh, I have a poster of a cigarette for <laughs> asthma. Then the doctors, you know, the doctors found the cause and they created a link. And then once you have the link, then you can link the two because you couldn't do it with correlation because, the, 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 you know, it would have been like saying anybody who is a Catholic uh, has lung cancer. Because there is a correlation, because you know, in Italy everybody's Catholic, and so everybody smokes that. cigarettes. Yeah. <laughs> That's the cause of every illness. Of, of
0: course, Catholic, really. yep, yep.
1: So correlation. That another example is that a recent study came out that um, measured people's happiness in function as a function of how many children. Are. And the happiest people turned out to be the ones without children. So if you asked a deep learning algorithm to decide what to do with population planning, it <laughs> would go extinct very rapidly. Yeah! 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 So, because causation and correlation are completely different aspects of um, artificial intelligence. Got it. Most of the things you get out there are correlation, which is why this deep learning movement is very interesting, because they focus on correlation. Yes, yes, yes. Because computers can find correlations where humans can't. Yep. But to know that you have pneumonia, you cannot really do it with correlation. You can do it, you need causation information.
0: Yeah. So you need okay. you need to
1: link the symptoms to the condition. So that's the problem we have to face. And how do you do that? But basically that is knowledge. You are need you essentially you need to teach your eye system the same knowledge that a doctor has. Which is what they pick up at university. Yes, and yes, practice
0: yes. As a doctor, so, right? Matteo, just to clarify this for the folks listening in, and, and you can let me know if I'm on the right page. I want to make sure we're all kind of getting it here. Um, yeah. If you have a machine and you give it, let's say, you know, the last ten years of uh, uh, stock price information from the S and P 500 or whatever the case may be, in real time candlestick charts, um, yeah. you know, it, it'll find whatever if, if you're if you're seeking correlation and you're seeking something that generally ties to something you'll find that and you may actually be able to use that to yeah. you may actually be able to use that to to functionally you know uh, make a higher yield in the stock market maybe even if you don't understand the why even if you don't understand the what there is a correlation these things tend to go together and yeah. without any understanding you can have a functional output so now right. now it sounds like with in this case, with with knowledge, um, you know, if you go on correlation, you are n- you're un- you're actually y- you could be running into danger. So Absolutely. in this particular case, we don't just need a correlation; we actually need to be able to tie things to what is logical and, and, and rational. Uh, in terms of, uh, yeah, yield. Yep.
1: Yeah, spot on. And so the the key point here is that, and if you if you read uh, the, the books about big data they make very clear the point that when you run big data algorithms, they find the what, not the why. They are not interested in the why. Yeah. They look at things because they're not answering the question. They just find things and they say, whoa, we found the correlation. And they just say, well, that's it, that's it. Right? So in our case, it's completely different. I need to know what is the likelihood of you tomorrow walking into a GP in a doctor to see your, your, your doctor and if you say I have a headache and a fever, what's wrong with you? It's nothing to do with correlation. It's totally personal and it's totally probabilistic. So I need to have a probabilistic model that allows me to guess what is the most likely thing that you have. And in a specific case of a doctor, I need to have and this is where to head to create our own algorithms, we need to decide what questions we should ask. Because what are we trying to do here is to gain knowledge. So it's not correlation, it's pure knowledge. So we need an algorithm that is smart enough to decide what is the next question. So the problem is if you come in, you are 30 years old male, uh, Caucasian in the United States today on the 28th of April, and you say you have a fever, what is the
0: next question I should ask you? Yeah. And there's so many contextual details, right? I mean, if someone is older, totally. if someone's in a different totally. geographic location, right. if it's winter and you're in Vermont, maybe you're exactly. much more likely to have, you know, bronchitis or frostbite or whatever yeah. than yeah. than uh, you know, someone someone in Florida. So there that's that contextual information, that's more of, you know, at least on some level, kind of this knowledge graph or, or, or kind of maybe even harkens to like the expert system sort of a process where you you do kind of have to know you know the old idea of an expert system. you know if it's a cheetah, then you know its eyes face forward and it has these kind of spots and it can run this fast and you, you sort of you have to shove that into the machine beforehand because otherwise you can't just be connecting dots by which are closest and by what, by what you're hearing immediately. you need, you need so much else that's sort of plugged in there. So that's that's an interesting issue. So you have to combine kind of machine learning with the more traditional approach.
1: This is exactly like that. And this is why we're very excited about what we're doing because we're actually adventuring down a new path of AI that is not really, uh, you know, followed by many companies because they let, the trend is to do deep learning and big data. That's where, you know, the yeah, of and course. All, yep. you know, all of that is all deep learning. Yep. So we have this problem, which is basically we need to try to build the most comprehensive knowledge base in in a form about medicine in a form that can be used by an AI algorithm. Yeah. So there is a good way our chief data officer describes it. The way imagine you have a huge graph with all the different dimensions of medicine, with all the correlation between all the variables, the seasons, the age, the gender, the you know whatever you have, whether you're a smoker, and the symptoms and everything else. And you have this really really complex graph. And then what you do by understanding the details of a specific person, you're collapsing this graph around them to come with a personalized medical graph which gives you the likelihood of this specific person from suffering from any condition in the graph at that point in
0: time. Yeah, that that's a robust project right there. Um, yeah. That is certainly a robust project. Uh, so <laughs> let me ask this, Matteo, because... I, I know uh, you know you did not start off in the AI world you know your formal education, your uh, doctorate in physics if I'm not mistaken and and had run That's a number hard. of different companies and now you're here in, in AI and, and hitting the ground running and raising good money and, and getting some great press and building something that you believe in. Um, what have you learned about sort of making AI work? We're talking about developing a functional, useful, legitimate application. For artificial intelligence, in this case, in the medical space, which is, um, you know, a lot of folks are focusing there. It, it, in order to sort of make AI work, what are the the challenges you've run into that maybe you would have never known about the challenges of making, you know, AI work, for lack of better terms? Maybe you never would have known about if you never started a company. You know, what have you learned in this process?
1: So it's a great question. Um as a physicist, I, you know, I have a, a, a way of thinking about things, which is very helpful when it comes to trying to solve new problems. And uh, what I discovered, you know, I didn't know anything about AI before I started this project a year and a half ago. And uh, I think that what I've learned, uh, um, sort of as a confirmation of some of the things I've done in the past, is that technology is never... Uh, capable of doing things on its own I, mean, I yeah. I've always believe that technology is uh, uh, should be always uh, um, ass- assisting humans so you know, I, I'm a strong believer of this symbiotic relationship between the human and, uh, and the computer and the machine and, and in this case in particular where we're pushing the boundaries of what machines are doing I still see that these machines cannot do things on their because when you let them be, they just, you know, they're, they're very limited. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They are incapable of, uh, of, you know, of doing, you know, some stuff that human beings can do very, very easily. And, you know, there are things like empathy, which, you know, which in the medical space is very important, that I, you know, I, I struggle to see how a, an algorithm will ever be able to be, you know, even they pretend to be empathic I don't that they'll ever be able to, to be properly empathic. And, uh, and so what we're doing here, and we're still, you know, the app is live and the service is available now, uh, you know, around the world, but it's, it's in beta. Um, I can, you know, we're really holding the hand of this system and we are, you know, it's like a child. Yeah. You have to really, you know, you saw this thing that happened with Microsoft with their bots yeah. last week. That's that a classic works.
0: example. You should not let the tech run on its own. Because yep. it just goes astray, you know. It's like letting your your eight
1: year old child out of the, you know, in the, in the out of, in out down on his own. Yep, money. yep, yep. Yeah, yeah. You know, he's gonna he's gonna end up badly. <laughs> There's Not, no two ways about
0: it. <laughs> it. See, you know what's curious, Matteo is probably you know it's it's interesting because being the person sort of working on the technology, and of course I presume at this point hiring a lot of people to work on the technology. You know, you guys are going to need some decent talent there to leverage sort of the the machine learning side of things and whatever other AI approaches that need to be sort of cobbled and blended in order to, um, you know, get this personalized graph idea off the ground, which is, uh, again, quite quite novel and complex. Being the person in the background, even if someone working with the technology today is pretty amazed with what it can do you You're probably able to kind of slap your forehead and be like oh man if you if you only knew what we had to do to make that happen you know <laughs> so the every I think the rest of the world sees everything, whether it be Google search or whether it be you know Amazon's recommendations or some other machine vision application uh and and they just say, "Whoa, it's like magic and then the the folks who put it together can probably always you know put their their palm in their forehead and just say, Oh my goodness, if you only knew what we had to do to." To get that going. So it sounds like you, you've got to climb, uh, you know, you, being able to see in the back end, you realize maybe how much this doesn't happen unless someone really tangibly orchestrates all the pieces.
1: Absolutely. So what you need to do, my, my experience with this is that you need to, there, there's certain kind of key driving thoughts. One is that the infrastructure needs to be extremely automated and very scalable. So you cannot make mistakes on the architecture and infrastructure because then you're going to fall flat on your face very fast. So that needs to be done. You know, you can trust the machines there, you know, set up your server infrastructure really well, use you know, all the latest technology to ensure that the platform can scale and it's fast. Then on the service level, I you know, what we, we've been doing, and I think that happens in a lot of places, there's a lot of... Uh, algorithms and a lot of technology, but there is a lot of hand holding um, because in the beginning you need to fine tune everything. So there's a lot of you know manual human intervention. We're doing a lot of manual reviews of you know the conversation between the users and the AI to see what we missed, what could have been done better. We get a lot of feedback from the users. You know at every step of the consultation and interaction with you and me. We ask if they're satisfied. We say Are you happy? Yes, no. They say no. Why? You know, why are you not happy? What could we do better? Um, you know, maybe we did—they they gave you the wrong diagnosis. So there's a lot of manual intervention. The one thing I can tell you, though, having read some things in the news recently, is that we only use AI to talk to the users. We don't have humans behind the service. The humans are supervising the service, but there's no human that is. Talking or interacting with the the end users because it's totally unscalable. Yeah. Consider yeah. that today we're doing around fifteen thousand consultations per day. So imagine the number of people we would have to have to, to have even minimal input with the actual active service. Yeah, yeah, it I, would be completely impossible
0: already. And, and, so yeah. definitely, definitely not scalable. I think probably the reason why some of those folks, XAI, and I know Zuckerberg's kind of M program, they planned on having some kind of concierge in the background. Presumably, that's a bit of a a crutch or a scaffold, if you will, to sort of continuously train the system to maybe learn from how a smart human, you know, who understands the context would respond. Um, So I, I think that hopefully some of the folks who are doing that are doing it to further the AI, the AI, but of course, as you had mentioned, there's some serious limitations to that. And if you're handling that many a day, you know, you you can't have two floors full of people, you know, sending no, you text not. messages all day. It's Especially not, because
1: we, they would have to be doctors.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's they have to be qualified space. people. I you, you, you you can't pay by the hour for that. Yeah. So booking appointments, exactly. booking appointments, you can have some concierge yeah. human being, no problem. But uh, diagnosing whether or not you have bronchitis. You, you you really can't you know you, you can't have that many PhDs you know roped to a to a to a bench you know just typing away on computers uh, handling chat stuff so completely understood um, this
1: gives you the scale of the problem because what we're trying to do here Dan is we're trying to give a doctor to everybody in the world there are two point five billion people that have no doctor access to doctors yeah okay so you need to have something that can handle tens of millions of queries per day. So that's why we built it from day one, knowing that we could not have human beings in the life, uh, in the flow of the life service. Yep. Because we cannot have bottlenecks. And so that's why we're really, you know, our approach is, is to teach the AI as much as we can, as quickly as we can, so that the AI can then work, uh, you know, at scale with, with millions of people.
0: Of course. Yeah. So uh, the firm believer in the fact that technology is here to assist people but sometimes some of those people can be bottlenecks i think that both both of those things can be true at the same time mateo we're just about on time i very much am glad that we got to uh, catch up today and explore some of what you guys are working on what you've learned thanks so much for being able to join us on the tech immersion podcast
1: thanks dan it's great to speak to you
0: And that wraps up this episode of the Tech Emergence Podcast. Thanks for being here, and remember to subscribe on iTunes to stay on top of the latest news breaks, researcher perspectives, and entrepreneur interviews in artificial intelligence, neurotechnology, and more. And we want to hear from you as well, so be sure to leave a review on iTunes, which are always appreciated, or contact us directly. At infotechemergence.com. And remember, all of our entrepreneur interviews and interviews with top researchers from around the world, from Stanford to Oxford and beyond, can be found right on our main site at Techemergence.com. Remember to sign up for the newsletter while you're there. So, with the best of intentions for a brilliant future, this is Dan Figella signing off, and I'll see you next week.